This is Polly, and welcome to our podcast, As Far As I'm Concerned. We're a relatively chill podcast that gives often overlooked students and teachers a platform on which to express their opinions on social issues through a casual format they're comfortable with. Just a bit of background information that we probably should not be telling random strangers on the internet, but that is necessary for sufficient context. We are all private high school students. This is not affiliated with our school in any way and should not be treated as such. So for today's discussion, we have TV. Let's get started. So to begin our segments about TV shows and movies, on average, how much do you say you watch TV every week, either in terms of time or in terms of how many episodes or seasons? I don't watch TV too much because I have a lot of other commitments, but on average, I watch maybe one to two hours of TV every week. Yeah, I'd say that's a pretty good rough estimate. So I barely watch any TV at all when I'm like by myself. The only TV I watch is like binging Netflix with my friends, but I haven't done that in a long time. All right. Uh, I guess I watch, what, two episodes per day, probably on average. So that's 40 minutes per day. So 40 times seven, it's like three hours. When I'm not locked into watching whatever my three-year-old son watches, Octonauts and, and Bluey, which I'm not really going to count because that would be an embarrassing amount <laughs> of hours, probably like 10 hours a week, like an hour and a half a day or so. Very, like we have a very wide range. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. So our next question is, what are some of your favorite shows or movies and why do you like them? Well, for me, after like 10 recommendations, I got really into Avatar The Last Bender, Airbender, and its sequel, Legend of Korra, so I really like those. I also like, like, I don't really watch a specific like set of shows. I watch random shows. Like I watch Suits, but I also watch stuff like the Boss Baby series. So <laughs> yes, I watch it. And I'm proud of it. I'm admitting this on the podcast. You know, uh, me, I'm braver than you. <laughs> more, more power to you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I watch a lot of things. What? I didn't know there was a Boss Baby series. Yeah, it's on Netflix. It's actually more entertaining than the movies. I take your word for it. I'm intrigued. <laughs> yeah, so... Right, right. Um, to get back on topic, I was one of the people who gave Myla the recommendation for Avatar The Last Airbender. I haven't seen Legend of Korra, though. But um, I've heard some people complain that it's not very consistent. I won't get into that, though, so that we don't start another fandom war. And I think the last Netflix thing I binged with my friends was this horror series called The Girl From Nowhere. And I don't think you guys have heard of it, but yeah. Okay. So asking me my favorite shows is a very loaded question. I think for Western TV, it's easy because The Good Place is a masterpiece and I refuse to hear otherwise. Let's see, what else? Uh, Recently, I watched Bunny Girl Senpai, and that show had way more emotional impact on me than any show should have. So I think I have to list that. What else? The Promised Neverland? That was good. Who's left? I made a, a long list um, of shows that I've watched previously, and shows that, yeah, I don't know. This, I don't think any of these are currently airing, but there's still things that I do watch. 
um, Arrested Development, Avatar The Last Airbender. A Saturday Night Live I do watch every week still. Uh, there's a series called Spartacus Blood and Sand that was on Showtime or Stars. Uh, the Simpsons, 24, The Office, The Americans. There's this Korean zombie show on Netflix called Kingdom, which I really loved recently. Uh, the West Wing, Sopranos, and then uh, Dragon Ball Z, Death Note, and the first Full Metal Alchemist are some of my favorites. I don't think I've ever had a group with more polar opposite preferences. This will make this very hard <laughs> to talk about. We all but like Avatar The Last Airbender. Right? I have not watched it. I do want to oh, talk about haven't. Late Night. I do want to talk about Late Night, though, because I think Late Night is just a bad format. I don't think I've ever watched a late night show that I have enjoyed. Do you mean like those late night talk shows? Anything, Saturday Night Live. Conan was the only exception where I thought it was kind of fun. But like Seth Rogen, Trevor Noah, they all suck. I think late night just sucks. Define late night. Like after what time is late night? No, like late night talk shows. That's what I mean, that format. Oh, so like, like oh, so like defined as that, okay. Uh, boy, we're going to have a long conversation about Saturday Night Live another time. And I'm going to make you into a convert of that show. <laughs> our our podcast is... Of experimental comedy on TV. And some sketches work and other ones uh, don't work. And it's, it's fresh every week with different guests, musical and, uh, and host. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you like this show. I, I have, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna be spending a lot of time with you this year in various ventures, so I'm sure something's <laughs> gonna change. Our podcast is being usurped, guys. They're literally taking over. We need to <laughs> fill an hour with these questions, and you got the two dumbest people to interview. You're not wrong Holy there. moly, ouch. Wow. Hey, don't say that. You have or you got, at least teachers. me, you got the dumbest person to interview about gender, race, and sexuality. We need yeah, to fill the time. Not me. All right, well, I think we kind of covered genres pretty much in terms of what we watch. So now let's talk about... How do you think diversity is portrayed within? It's kind of like a big change to a more serious note, but yeah. <laughs> so how do you think now, serious is one thing these two don't do well? <laughs> I don't think any of us do, honestly. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna talk, and then you can you can talk, okay? Um, well, in what I watch, I don't watch much. Like, I don't honestly watch a lot of TV shows. I just generally sometimes re-watch things that I already have watched. And my Netflix account is on kids, so I can't really watch much. <laughs> but in the stuff that I have watched, there's not too much diversity, honestly. I don't know. There's a lot of kids shows in that mix. A lot of, a few not kids shows too, but I haven't really seen much diversity. And I think TV shows is one of the main places where that still needs to change a little bit. A lot of it is virtue signaling, in my opinion, like putting in diversity in the cast. And sometimes it's necessary, but in a lot of places, it's just not there. That's what I, that's just my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I also think um, ATLA, Avatar The Last Airbender does a pretty good job of diversity, but I also feel like um, other shows should try to follow this example, particularly kids' shows, because um, it will leave a more lasting impression on the kids. I feel like I should mention that we're not talking about the movie here. We're never talking about the movie, just to be clear. The we don't mention the movie. doesn't exist. Exactly. There is no war in Ba Sing Se. There is no movie in the, the Atla universe. <laughs> okay, moving on. 
Oh, oh boy, I, do you want I, to have, share? I have to talk now. Okay. Uh, my main thought for diversity is Raj from the Big Bang Theory, which I think is. <laughs> I think the Big Bang Theory is just a terrible <laughs> reference point for anything. But I mean, so here's the thing, right? When you talk about diversity, if you even say that any show needs it, it immediately becomes virtue signaling, right? I think this whole idea of virtue signaling is just like false because obviously there are times when it is truly virtue signaling, but criticizing something because it is, I don't think is necessarily valid because that's what society does, right? We are trying to get people to be more virtuous. Is that not virtue signaling? Just by definition? I mean, virtue signaling is, is viewed as a hollow gesture. Yeah, virtue signaling is just like pretending that you're leaning towards virtue just for like the support of an audience or like yeah. just to get more viewership. One good example of this, po boy, is a corporation turning their Facebook profile picture into a big rainbow for Pride Month, but then also sending lots of uh, donations to PACs that support congressmen who dislike uh, gay rights and gay marriage. Yeah. Well, I think it's turning into an AP to, government lesson. I want to add to, to Poboy's thing about Big Bang Theory. I also wrote down some notes about that. Uh, on one hand, there's a show on Netflix called Master of None, made by the stand-up comedian Aziz Ansari, who's uh, yes. South Asian. And I think it does a decent job of showcasing issues that people like him face in, in dating and in life and the sort of problems that might arise from the tradition in the family that he comes from, but the sort of modern dating scene that he's entered into. And then there's things like the Big Bang Theory, where Raj is like some big pampered rich Indian who can't speak to women, right? Yeah. And even further, Howard Wallowitz is like a neurotic Jew with a heart condition. like. That show has just stereotypes everywhere, and they're not positive, and they're not helpful. There's a new show on Netflix called Q-Force. Have you guys watched Q-Force yet? I've heard about not it. Yet. I'm, not, worth watching. I'm, uh, I'm an ally. I'm not a member of the LGBTQ plus community, but I found that show embarrassing for them. It was so... It just like put every, every sort of flamboyant stereotype about being a part of the queer community on, uh, on blast, and it, not in a positive way. Yeah, so I, I want to circle back to the Big Bang Theory because I was having a conversation with my friend about this. He genuinely likes the message it presents because he reads it as a sort of satire in the harmful parts of nerd culture. And I find that very interesting because to me it just seems tone deaf, but there is a sect of people who see it as a satire, as a calling out of nerd culture. I guess it's a calling out of nerd culture if you ignore the context of his character, right? That he is a massive disappointment to his family because he's not making a ton of money. Like he's not a doctor or a lawyer. And they compare him to his very rich, successful sister quite often. And he obviously comes from a very wealthy family back in India that yells at him for not being married. And I'm not South Asian, so I can't necessarily speak to it. So I'm gonna shut my mouth. <laughs> all <right>. Yes. All right. <laughs> with with all the South Asians in this call, I think we have a very terrible representation of anything to talk about. Uh, right? Uh, there is um, one show that I would like to bring up. If any of you guys have seen or heard of Glee, that show. Yes. I yeah. definitely heard of it. Personally, think that they are like it's the most representative, like Western TV show I've ever watched. 
And the thing I like about that is that they have Asian characters, they have LGBTQ characters, they have so many different races there, and they don't necessarily conform to it because they don't just have one character from each of these, so you can kind of see the variety. Like, for example, they have um, two characters who are gay, and you know how there's kind of like that stereotypical loves Broadway, very like girly kind of stereotype, but one of them does fit into that stereotype, whereas the other one is doesn't fit into that at all, and they have more gay characters who are like on the football team, who are these super manly guys, and I appreciate that because it shows like a variety of people in that show. I can yeah, kind of see what you're getting at, right? Like mm-hmm. stereotypes to some extent, they're all be- they they are grounded in reality, but they've gone so far from reality that they're not really true. So like showing one kind of fits a stereotype and one who doesn't is probably a good route to go. Mm-hmm. I haven't watched Glee, but what from what you've described, I can play devil's advocate and say that that character is not canonically gay and he's just gay in name to make the inflate the show's diversity. That has that's happened before in the show too, I believe. God, I feel old because you you're asking if I like seeing Glee, but I, I, that show came out when I was growing up. Uh, there's a character who is a wheelchair user, I think, yeah. and he sings the song "Safety Dance." By the way, mm-hmm. uh, and he, the actor in real life, is not a wheelchair user. They hired mm-hmm. an actor to basically sit in a wheelchair instead of actually hiring someone diverse, someone mm-hmm. who is uh, physically disabled. Just one example. Yeah, I do know Glee definitely does have some issues, but I feel like in terms of, like, displaying all races, it's better. Also considering it's, like, located in Ohio. I guess that's a step in the right direction, even if it's not perfect. Mm Mm-hmm. It's still something, you know? Um, No, I agree with you. Yeah, Glee is definitely a very diverse show, Mm -hmm. um, for sure. Yeah, and it avoids the thing that's very common in virtue signaling, where there's just that one token character that doesn't really have a personality and is just there. Yeah. So back on topic, we've talked about kind of TV shows depicting real life representative, if they're representative or not. Do you believe that kids shows should be more representative? For example, like Avatar The Last Airbender? It is quite representative, especially of kind of like the minority Asians, but do you think it should be even more representative? Yes. (laughs) That's all we need to say. Yes. (laughs) I mean, yes. Like, if you teach and if kids shows address this more, it wouldn't be hard because kids shows address a lot of other things. Like, they. I've seen ones that like address gender conflicts, I can't quite remember what, but I'm sure they do address them, right? And if we started doing that, if kids shows started addressing like even more issues, like maybe even like socioeconomic barriers and stuff like that, which they do address to some extent, but if they did it more, kids would understand more. I'd like to offer a different perspective on this. Um, I watch a lot of like infant and toddler television compared to just kids TV. And there's a show on Disney Plus called um, called Bluey. Have you guys seen Bluey before? No. Yeah, it's new. Yeah, I don't it's think. about a dog family in Australia. I think it's put on by BBC Australia. But every episode is about a different type of play for toddlers, like with the bike or playing horsey or doing imagination and all that stuff. And what I like most about it is like the mom and dad are present in the show and they make me laugh every time because 
I really relate to how they react to these situations. But one thing that I think makes this show different from all the other shows, I had no idea that Bluey and her sister were were girl dogs for the longest time. It like it came up once at some point way later in in the first season, and they used like her or something, and I had no clue that Bluey was a girl dog because it wasn't important to any of the stories that they were playing. Contrast that, for example, with Paw Patrol, where there's like, one of the main dogs is a, like a dog that wears pink. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I see what I, you I mean. You. But the issue is, we're not there yet. We haven't completely like we haven't made enough progress to honestly just ignore gender roles. So I think it would be better to like point them out now until they kind of understand that there's no point in like gender roles and they're kind of arbitrary. And then we can start. Moving towards just not mentioning them at all because they're irrelevant, but we're just not there yet.、Mm-hmm. And on the topic of main characters and shows, do you believe that like their position is realistic? This doesn't like apply to shows such as Avatar, where the point is it's unrealistic. But in terms of like Big Bang Theory, or even Glee, or like The Office, do you think that they're realistic? So like the character portrayal,、mm-hmm. if if they're like realistic, I think that shows are working towards doing a better job at that. And I think there is like like no one is like super overpowered and perfect and stuff. They're trying to work away from that and portraying them as flaws. I do think that they're not realistic because TV is an escape. I, I'd say fifty fifty, somewhat realistic, somewhat not realistic. This is such a broad question. We need to limit the genre. If we're talking about sitcoms, like. The point is to be kind of played up, right? None of the characters in the office would exist in real life, right?、Mm-hmm. You can have those sort of character traits, but they're played up so much for comedy, right? Yeah, like the point of a lot of shows is not for realism necessarily; it's just entertainment. So even if they're not realistic, they're designed that way. Like obviously they can't be perfect at everything or like a self insert, but、um, if they're just highlighting flaws or certain traits for comedy purposes, that's definitely okay, and that is a genre of its own. I have is、uh, so I I don't know any mobsters, gladiators, or element benders in real life. So to say whether something's realistic or believable seems a A tad difficult. Where I think we're focusing, like in terms of their character, right? Like,、so、instead of like show that I used to watch growing up called Twenty called Twenty Four, and it's basically about a vigilante Jack Bauer working for the counterterrorism unit, stopping terrorist attacks. And、um, I'd say、uh, many of the seasons were about stopping some Middle Easterner from blowing up a bomb or a plane or something like that. And the show used to bend over backwards. To not only show us that these Middle Easterners are terrorists, but then they would also have good Middle Eastern、uh, people of Middle Eastern descent in the show, reminding the audience that not all terrorists are Middle Easterners. And they sort of tried to have their cake and eat it too, and it didn't work.、Um, it worked in the sort of age of the, the paranoia of terrorism of the, of the 2000s. But when I look back at it now, I find it very unbelievable. Yeah, and. Kind of on a similar topic, would you prefer? Like we talked about shows, kind of making it slightly unrealistic to make it more entertaining. Would you prefer that shows were more realistic, or would you prefer them to be unrealistic but entertaining? 
It really depends on the kind of show. I'm not watching like a specific like comedy show to learn about real issues. Although if they're in there and they're done well, that's good. But it really depends on the kind of shows. Well, I think being played up and not addressing real issues are not mutually exclusive. In fact, I think it's probably better if something is hyper exaggerated for the sake of comedy while portraying a real issue. I think this is what good stand-up comedians do all the time, right? I know this is moving a bit away from TV, but people like Bo Burnham, like their whole thing is that overplay something to a large extent with big theatrical everything and portray an issue so that society cares and is also laughing and everyone cares and everyone's、yeah. laughing and it's great. That's, that's similar、yeah. to satire too.、Um, realism matters. In a lot of shows, and then realism doesn't work in many others. Like, I'll give you the sort of mundane examples. Like, <laughs> if a hospital show, like ER or Grey's Anatomy or any of the other hospital shows, were realistic, then most of the patients that doctors would treat would have heart disease or high cholesterol. They, you know, they wouldn't have some, some rare tropical Amazonian disease <laughs> that requires a team of hundreds to figure <laughs> out, right? Or like if、uh, if we had a police show and there are thousands of scenes of like police procedurals every week, like we watch them do paperwork most of the time or fail to solve a crime because murders are really hard to solve. People aren't going to easily just admit to doing a crime in the interrogation room. Like these shows, you know, portray. They're gonna keep their mouths shut, call their lawyer, and hopefully not even go to trial, or they get plea deals. These, like, these are the things they have to make unrealistic to make them entertaining, because a cop's life or a doctor's life isn't gonna be the most glamorous. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think since there's so many different genres of shows, and people kind of tend to like gravitate towards shows that more align with their interests. Like some people might like comedy more, some people might want to watch more anime, and, <laughs> and that's that's not a rip at anyone. I promise you. Yeah, it's not. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> and do you think that this can kind of cause rifts between different types of fandoms? Like people might think that they're the genre that they like is a lot better than another genre, or might discourage someone from watching things out of a different drama because they think they won't like it. I'm sure it does, especially in our age group specifically.、Um, with、Don't、the amount about our ages. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I don't know a ton of genre fighting. I do know, like for example, that probably anime does separate itself among the genres, and it's because most anime is bad. Most of it is bad. There are gems every year in anime that are well written. Beautifully animated, well voice acted, but they're sitting in a sea of hundreds of just god awful titles, and unfortunately, those god awful titles, because there's so many of them, seem to overpower people's sense of what true and good anime would look like. So then, okay, so I'll address this in a few ways. One thing I'll say is that I think in Western media, it's worse, and <laughs> that the shows that are well written seem to come up. Never or rare, very rarely, and I think the shows that are bad in Western media are significantly less tolerable than bad anime. I, that's that's my thing. I think bad anime are just more fun. <laughs> I I don't agree with you, but I hear you.、Um, when I was、uh, 
when I was in high school, the, the, the people who shopped for anime at the video stores were weird people. Like they wore these big, like, kill you with their steel toe boots, long black trench coats, a fedora hat. They made me like feel bad yes. about liking anime and being a normal person with friends. Now I think anime is much, much more mainstream and less uh, em embarrassing to admit, I think. But that could just be part of growing up. I just don't care about what other people think if I like something. You guys are in the midst of all that, you know, teenage angst and, and hormones, and that's still something you deal with. I also think that, like, not like other peopleism is getting bigger, and like people are more eager, like, in a good way, people are more eager to admit, like, what they like, and other closeted anime likers are coming out and, you know, forming communities around that. Yeah, and kind of going back to, like, just like, wait. <laughs> Do you think um, that shows kind of glorify violence a little bit? Like, there are so many animes that have, that are like kind of violent, like if you look at just like Demon Slayer or like Attack on Titans. You know, okay. even though it's like animated, right? It still depicts violence. And do you think that this, like, obviously it's for entertainment, it's the genre, but is it a good thing? Okay, so I'm going to rant about this for a few hours now, but I'm not going to talk about anime because I don't really watch anime, but I'm going to talk about Indian movies and like Bollywood and all of that. So I'm gonna I'm not going to go into too many details, but the entire plot of basically every Indian movie I've ever watched is literally just violence for an hour, then a little bit of a love scene, then violence for another one and a half hours. It's like the protagonists are chosen because they look like they could beat people up, and they do beat people up. They beat basically everyone up. And in the end, do they win by their logic? Do they win by their skills? Like one in a hundred times. The rest of the 99 times is because they beat the vil villain up, and the villain runs away crying. And I really, really don't like it because I like, honestly, at this point, most of the movies don't even have a plot. It's rare to find one that like actually has a good plot that we can actually follow and like, you know, be invested in the ending. But most of the time people just go because they like like the heroes or like enjoy watching people beat each other up. And I really, really, really don't like that. It's one of my biggest pet peeves of movies. And that's why I try not to watch Indian movies when I can. Do you think sometimes it works well, like in a movie Bahubali, it worked really well. And then sometimes it doesn't, it does not. Do you think, like, people who want to watch violence and they watch this, do you think it can encourage, like, violence in real life? To some extent. Like, you gotta separate movies from real life, and that's hard for, like, people our age to do, mainly. But, I mean, I think once you get older, it's it's easier to separate that. I will, I will die on this hill as someone who loves first-person shooters that... <laughs> watching violence when you're not very, very young, as in, I think over the age of seven, I think watching mild violence to some extent cannot be doing that much to you. I, I just- Yeah, I'm not talking I, about mild violence. Mild violence is fine. I think almost every movie has it. Like Star Wars, like they're, they're shooting stuff off of beams. That's not bad. But I, I, see, I feel certain that there's scientifically no link between the violence of TV shows and video games and violence out in the real world. That, that's exactly what I'm saying. I like the scientific consensus supports me here is that there's nothing 
Now, that doesn't mean it's not harmful in other ways. I just don't think that people are watching a violent movie and then going out and committing yeah, violence. Yeah, it, it could just be correlation. Well, it just doesn't happen. But like, you you can pick up, like, if you if you think there's a character who treats women, who treats women terribly and you admire that about him, it could influence the way that you interact with others. But I don't think it's causing violence out on the streets. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. But like in particular, um, people who idolize characters are meant to be like not not good people. Like I guess the Joker comes to mind. People who idolize people like like characters like the Joker, um, that could actually be a problem. Not in that they would actually commit violence, but um, as Mr. Sam said, more about them adopting like toxic character traits. Yeah, that plays out a lot, not only in real life, but um, dangerously online. A hundred percent. Yeah. In addition to maybe like behaviors that shows can create, what are some standards that you think shows might create, such as like beauty standards or cultural action standards? I mean, yeah, there's obviously the beauty standards. Like, why is it always that all this, the female superheroes are always dressed in like those uniforms like why I, I don't understand and there's also like cultural standards like things that you like in the big bang theory i mean that's more of like a negative stereotype but there are certain things that every character of like a certain culture are expected to do and if they don't do that it's just seen as really really strange and weird and i mean that's all i can think of right now but there are like tons of standards like that like every everything affects something else i, I, I don't know if you guys yeah I tried to think of examples that were relevant to, to kids your age. And uh, the one that I kind of came up uh, uh, with was the idea that a lot of the shows that teenagers are watching, like, say, Riverdale or Friday Night Lights, are just examples of this. But a lot of these teenager shows about teenagers hire actors in their late 20s, in, uh, in their late 20s or maybe early 20s. And these are not, they have impossible beauty standards that a normal high schooler just won't be, it's not going to achieve, right? They're hiring people that are far older and like you said, impossibly beautiful, impossibly fit. And these are not what high schoolers look like. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like a, a ton of shows I've seen that have like high schoolers or even middle schoolers sometimes. They're they portray things in like unrealistic lights. And speaking of that, honestly, just middle schools and high schools in general are portrayed horribly. Like no one acts like that. I mean, of course we go to a private school, so that's different, but no one acts like that in any normal high school either. Like I've talked to people and they're high, like who go to normal public schools and their high schools don't act like that. So I don't know why, like, I don't know if that's like part of the escape or the allure of those kind of like shows or why they're portrayed that way, but it's, why why are they done that way? Couldn't they be shown like more realistically? I can't I can't think of anyone who's been to a high school like those. The ones with like people always partying and like, you know, getting together with boyfriends and girlfriends. I and think we're just I think, I think we're just nerds. No, it's oh. not. It's not that. I, I, I yeah. talked to like public school kids too, like not nerd not nerd. Let me give you uh, just an example on opposite ends here. Um, on the good end is the show so the movie Eighth Grade that came out a few years ago. I thought the sort of awkward teenage experience was quite authentic in that movie. On the other hand, there's a movie coming out based on a Broadway show called Dear Evan Hansen, and Ben Platt is playing the lead and he goes to high school. 
And Ben Platt is like 28 years old. And he it's embarrassing to watch him walk around this high school. And because he doesn't, he, he doesn't look, he looks way older than everybody else around him. And it's a little embarrassing. This is what a lot of like Viner, or like former Viners, I guess Vine doesn't exist anymore, but like Instagram stars will do, where it's this weird sort of thing where they're well into their 20s, but they act very relatable to high schoolers and middle schoolers and earlier. That always put a bad taste in my mouth. I, like... <laughs> I don't know if y'all have had experience with that, but people like Lele Pons and Brent Rivera, they'll be talking about annoying things parents do at the ripe old age of 26 years old. It's like, ouch. Ugh. <laughs> uh. Oh man, yeah. I, I don't know why, but this conversation is kind of reminding me of like High School Musical, which I literally couldn't sit through. I had to stop watching it. My sister watched the sequels and everything. I couldn't watch it. It was so horrible. Everything about that, that movie was just, I don't know, off-putting. It was just such a bad like representation of what like high schoolers act like in general. I don't know. It was just so bad. That's a hot take. I I was beyond the high school musical generation, so I agree. I can look back and go, that was bad. But it was like the number one selling DVD when it came out. It was intensely popular. Okay, so I can like, that explain. That is quite a hot take. Yeah, I know. I can explain why I, I really don't like it. It's not like anything about, I mean, of course, it doesn't really have not much like, I mean, it's not really about the representation or anything for me. It's more about like the things like, in, in the sequel, I listen to a song that's like, gotta go my own way. And it's all like, I've got to move on and be who I am. And like, I hope you understand. And no, don't leave me and all of that. And it's like, you think she's like, the girl who's singing that is probably moving to like a different state or like a different school or something. No, she's quitting a job. They're literally going to see each other at school every day. So it's just so dramatized and so like, honestly, just vomit inducing for me. I don't know. It's just... I, I, I know people like that. High schoolers are... don't act like that. And yeah, yeah, I guess it's just me. I don't like that. I do not like that. I hate that kind of stuff. Myla, let's not discount how dramatic high schoolers can be, okay? Yeah, okay, yeah but not... Okay, fine. But just because no, you've but... never broken out into song about something you're dealing with. Are you sure I haven't broken out into song anytime? How can you be sure I haven't? I see you at school and you haven't... You know what? You're right. You're right, and uh, I hope that when you do break out in a song, it's when I can see it happen. And film it. And yeah. Film oh, it. God. And then I can oh. hold you years down the line and say, see, you were just like High School Musical. <laughs> I mean, it's fun Could you so imagine that? Ten years after you do something, you just get an email of you breaking out into song <laughs> in the middle of a high school hallway. I cannot imagine how that would feel. Yeah, because most people don't break out in a song in the middle of high school hallways. Yeah, I think I'd live too far away from a cliff to just walk off it if someone did <laughs> <laughs> Jump off yeah. the roof. Okay, not moving on from that. Following kind of like the sequels that Maya was talking about in High School Musical, do you, what, what are your opinions on sequels? Do you think that they're just money makers? Like, for example, well, like Legend of Korra? Or Frozen 2, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, High School Musical and its sequels were just in general bad, so I'm not going to talk about those, but 
I, I thought I really like Legend of Korra. It, it put like a new spin. It wasn't really using the same characters. It had a new spin. Maybe it didn't do the original characters very well, but the new characters were awesome. Maybe even better than some of the originals. And I really liked it more than Atla, actually. Frozen 2, on the other hand. Oh boy, that's a hot take. That's a really hot take. <laughs> yes, it's a very, very hot take. I've argued with people over this a lot. But yeah, um, for Frozen 2 and other sequels like that, I mean, I don't think they're that much worse. They're pretty much in the same league, but they are, they, they're definitely money grabbers. I, I can't think of one right now, but I know there was one, I can't remember what, that was really, really bad. Like, it was literally just a money grabber. They don't even like, it's like they don't even shy because they know it's gonna, if the first one did really well, this one is going to do really well as well. Yeah, I can't remember what it was right now, you guys might know. Like, it was some, I think it was a Disney movie. I mean, just in general, I don't necessarily watch sequels. Like, I haven't watched a lot of the sequels, but... Um, I watch sequels generally if I like the first one. Um, I think that if they're done well, this question might seem silly. No one would ask it if the sequel or the prequel was done well, right? They're very clearly money makers, but sometimes when the artist's vision is also a profitable vision, we end up with something amazing, like... Um, Better Call Saul is the prequel to Breaking Bad, and both are very good in their own right. If a yeah, sequel is bad, then we find ourselves asking, who asked for this? Why did they make this? They ruined what I loved. Yeah, yeah, I think I remember, like, Boss Baby 2, like I told you, I watched the animated series, so naturally I watched the sequel, and it was bad. I mean, this is also a hot take. People who like the first one like the second one, but I didn't like it. It was kind of chaotic and <laughs> seemed kind of pointless. Like, yeah, what do I... What opinion do I have that's not a hot take? No, I just, I, that's the spiciest take I've ever heard. Bat, yeah. Boss Baby 2 is worse than Boss Baby 1. Why? No, I have no idea. I've never seen either of them. Oh, oh, I see how I it is. I just think it's funny. I think it's funny you think you might offend someone with that opinion. If you'd like to, I'm I, offended. I don't know a single person who is remotely passionate about Boss Baby. So I think, I think you got this on lock. I don't know, maybe yeah. there's a community that I don't know about. I just looked at the comments underneath the, the trailer or something, and it seems like everyone loved the movie. Who I mean, uh, everyone who watched it. I haven't seen it, and I intend to watch it soon, but I'm told that the live-action Paddington Bear movie is great, and the sequel to it is even better. Hmm. Like, I, I watched Paddington, but not the sequel. Yeah. I know there's kind of similar to sequels, but there's also remakes. And this is a kind of interesting topic. So like, for example, there is this one um, Chinese drama that I really enjoyed watching and they recently made a Korean version mm -hmm. of it, which was, and they got their time cut in half. So they had to rush essentially everything and they over, like made everything super dramatic, changed a lot of the characters and called it a remake to kind of piggyback off of the first, the Chinese version's success. And there are people who like defend it saying that you have to consider it as a different thing. Would you argue like in agreement with them or would you argue that because it's marketed as a remake specifically to piggyback off the original, then you can't really consider it different? I'm going to mention like the two remakes I I know and one of them is Indian, so you probably I've never heard of it. It's like from my language so there was one in a different Indian language that was nearby and they remade it and it was literally the exact same thing like full-on same songs just with like slightly different lyrics so they'd rhyme 
same story, same types of characters, basically the exact same thing, just in a different language and with different actors. That's one one side of it. And the other side is like, like you said, like Paulina said, making it too different. So are, are we, like, I don't know what people expect from remakes. Do they expect it to be similar or do they expect it to be different? And then the other remake I know is the last Airbender movie, which we're just not talking about. I think if that- we, Oh yeah, sorry, go, ahead, go, ahead. go ahead. Oh, okay, I'll go. If we want to talk about remakes, at least in my mind, the ideal time for a remake is there is a story that is out there that we know it works. But the portrayal we have on it, we have of it right now is outdated. Therefore, we need a remake, right? Mm -hmm. Or obviously for languages and cultures and stuff, that's different. But I think remakes work best when it's particularly for an antiquated story that is good that we want to polish. Because that's how you reinvigorate a franchise or a story, right? Is making it more contemporary. Right, you'd have to decide whether the current iteration of that thing um, is still good, even now. And for example, the Disney animated movies that they've remade into live actions, the live actions have been fine, but not better than their animated counterparts. But they are like Disney's rolling in money with them, so why wouldn't they keep producing them? The other issue on, like, remakes is, do you think that they should always be compared to the original or not? Yes. They have to be. And about maybe sequels as well. Compared to the original or no? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) How can you possibly watch Boss Baby 2 and not think, oh my god, Boss Baby 1 was an Oscar winner here compared to Boss Baby 2? Yeah, that happened a lot with the Promised Neverland season two, where everyone thought it was terrible because the first season was so good. So I think I I do kind of stray to the other side where there has to be some amount of like independence towards it, or at least that the remake remade show should not detract from the original. Yeah. But I mm-hmm. think the original can detract from the remake. That's true. I mean, yeah. In the case of like The Legend of Korra, which isn't really a remake, but it's like a sequel, people kept comparing it. It's it's this is kinda of a bit relevant to like the remakes, but like people kept comparing it and like I don't know, I just think it should be considered as completely separate. Well not completely separate, but like mostly separate. Because a lot of people compared it to the original and were mad that it wasn't as good or that it messed up the character somewhat. But if you see it as like an individual show, it's great. I agree. I think Legend of Korra would be a great show if it wasn't following Avatar The Last Airbender. Because that show just set the standards really high. Yeah, definitely. And and now people aren't going to watch it because they watch the original and don't want this to quote unquote mess that up. And I personally feel like the portrayal of the main characters from ATOA was kind of different in Legend of Korra, which sequels sometimes can't escape. And, um, but that might make it seem worse when compared to the original. Also, like, this is kind of a minor point, but in Legend of Korra, we also have to take into consideration that a lot of the characters that everyone loved from Avatar Last Airbender are dead. Uh, well, one of them isn't. 
Actually, two of them. Oh, are. Yeah, two yeah of a lot are. of them are. No, three. Actually, half, half of three uh-huh. of them. Yeah, more than three of them are dead. Like, if you think about no, four out of five aren't dead. Wait, no, Sokka. No, no, no three out of five are, aren't dead. Yeah, Aang and Sokka are dead. Yeah, but te- I think like most people, it makes them sad to see the character so old, and passed away and like. It made me sad you know? for like the first episode, and then I forgot about them. Really? I could speak for hours with you about this topic. We have I like. Think we should. Yeah, we only have a little. We time have nine left, minutes, so, so dude, let's let's do one more question and wrap it up. So this will be our ending question. If you could only watch one show or movie for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? Okay, can I go? Because yeah. I I I think this is fun. Um. So for me, I generally like romance anime, so that that definitely puts me in a bubble. It has to be something that has rewatch value, has some sort of plot, but is still comforting. And I think that leaves you with a few shows. One of them is Blend S, which is the cheesiest slice of life I think you will ever get. Number two, I think is Bunny Girl Senpai, because I think it works very well as a drama and also very well as a comfort show. And I think the final one may be working, which is an old slice of life. I think those both work really well for rewatch value. I also okay. thought. Oh, oh yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Myla, you can go ahead. Okay. Well, mine is quick because I, I, like I said, I don't watch many shows. I'm tempted to say the Boss Baby series, but then again, I think I'd be mad at my younger self if I got older. So yeah, probably I'll just go with Atla because adults seem to enjoy that as well. Or not Atla, The Legend of Korra, because I like that one more. So I thought a lot about this because I would be doomed to watch this for the rest of my life. And I came up with uh, with two answers. Um, the first one was Saturday Night Live because there's f- over 45 seasons and it's a, and it's a continuing show. That's cheating. So that's I always cheating. have something to watch. Oh, you're gonna yeah, watch. Yeah, I, I, I do not consider that a show. That's cheating. It has to be cheating. a show. Ah, you can't. We can't move the uh, the goalposts here. <laughs> we just did. And we here's the thing. Oh, okay, so then, then my show is the BBC. That's what I want. I watch the BBC. That's a channel. That's a channel. Okay, I want BBC's hard talk. I want BBC's hard talk or BBC three documentaries. Alright, the other answer. If I have to watch the rest of my life, I want something that is. Um, like really, really long-winded and continuing. And I looked it up. One Piece has 980 episodes at the moment. So I have tons of One Piece to watch and it's still going on even now. So for the rest of my life, I could probably watch that and get plenty of variety. If you want something long and continuous, you could watch Doctor Who. Yeah, but that show doesn't appeal to me. I'm convinced that One Piece fans are clinically insane. I don't know how they have that much patience to watch through that. I, uh, when I first watched One Piece and got into it, it was because I, I moved to Japan and uh, I called the service to get internet and they said they'd come out and do the internet in a month. So I had no internet at my apartment for a month when I first got there. And so a friend of mine gave me, at the time, like 500 episodes of One Piece. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I did when I got home from, from school is I watched One Piece. We need to talk more about Japan because uh, my life very, there is a possibility that my life will end up in Japan at some point in the near future. Yeah, cool. I go, uh, back, yeah. I go back once a year ever since I left. I, I lived there for three years. Yeah. Okay, yeah, guys, do this year. off this podcast. No, yeah, <laughs> I, I was saying separately, not right now. Okay, great. 
all right well that is all the time that we have for today thank you for listening and a huge thank you to our interviewees for spending time to come and participate in our wonderful podcast yeah. thank you for having us on adult so life with adult stuff to do and stuff i have lots of bluey to watch yeah that's yes. you. have fun with that so goodbye right. everyone thanks so much see bye We'd like to thank our guest speakers, Poboy and Mr. Sam, as well as Polly for editing and recording, Cheryl for performing the music that you are hearing right now, and Myla for scriptwriting and general memorial support. We'd also like to thank our English teacher for inspiring us to create this podcast. Last but not least, we'd like to thank our dedicated listeners for supporting us. See you in the next episode.